All right, so kind of making a double recording tonight because my microphone is, I forgot to charge it. So I'm on the iPhone, so, okay, not a lot of noise from all of you folks. Please keep nice. All right, anyway, it'll be okay. All right, so we're on lesson number four. So Romans 4, and my, my message starts, Paul and the Gospel of God. And so this section, we're going to be looking at uh, about the first half of this, uh, this opening sentence in Paul's letter. Uh, the book of Romans is filled with um, powerful verses, and this is one of those powerful verses. Um, I've been asking you to uh, submit through email or write it down and bring it to me. Um, a verse from the book of Romans that has meant something to you, not necessarily one that you've just read through, but that's okay if as you're reading through the letter, like I've asked you to do. Yes. Yeah. All right. So as you're reading through the letter, uh, maybe God will quicken a verse to you that's like, wow, I just never saw that before or whatever. But what I'm looking for is a verse that has had an impact on your life. And then you can write me just a little note about that. So my email address is at the top of the page there, or you can write it down and bring it to me. All right? So uh, let's go to our opening passage, Romans chapter 1. I know we've read through this several times, but again, like I've said, reading through it is an effective way of getting this into your uh, heart, your mind, Um we were sharing with uh, some others the other night, and um, Gwen was making the statement that she's, she's decided to write it. So she, as she reads, she writes. And as she writes, she says it out loud. And it's a great, it's a great thing to do. I'm not saying for all of you to have to do that. But it's a, it's a great tool. And so um, another way just to see the, the, the truth that's in this letter and the power that is here. The book of Romans uh, is many people's favorite, even though it's long. And it, it can be complicated. Because Paul writes, you know, with his personality. <laughs> and his personality is to run things together. He, he sees so many things and he wants to put it all together. And so he does in long sentences. Uh, Paul also writes, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but uh, he also writes a lot of questions, what they called in his day a dialectic style. Uh, we think of dialogue as between two people. You know, I'm talking, you're talking, so there's a dialogue. But in, in Paul's day, uh, the dialogue was the teacher asking a question and then answering it. So, you know, what, what day is it? Well, it's Tuesday, so I asked the question and I answered it because I want your mind directed to a certain thing. So the reason I asked the question is so that you're all thinking about the one thing that I want to talk about. It's not me asking a question and then taking everybody's answer. All right, that wasn't the way. And so Paul uses this style quite a bit through the book of Romans, and you'll, you'll begin to pick this up as, as you read through Kind of notice how many times Paul writes a question and he supposes uh, something that they, they might be thinking or that they are doing. 
And so another one of Paul's ways of communicating in this letter um, to just get the truth across. That's, that's what he wants. He wants people to understand, and we'll be building on that. All right, so this opening sentence, again, let's read it all. Uh, there on uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've said, in Paul's language, that's one sentence. And he's got reasons why he does this. Now, don't, don't turn your page yet, because what I want to do is show you this letter, uh, this opening, as it's broken out into an outline. And so... I spent quite a bit of time uh, following some different commentaries and looking at different resources uh, to line this out in the way that it it is ordered. And the nice thing about an outline is it helps you see what is identified, what is related to what. And so let's, uh, let's follow this through again. So I'm on your page one. And so Paul, then he identifies himself in three different ways. A servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And so those are identities that we will be discussing as Paul is presenting this letter to some people that know him, but a lot of people that don't. And so as Paul is writing this letter, the majority of the people in the church in Rome, do not know Paul. And so they don't know uh, who this man is. They don't know what it is that he is saying. So they have this this message from Paul, and he's going to explain uh, himself. He's going to explain his gospel, and he's going to uh, open their hearts and their minds. All right, now, talking about the gospel of God. Set apart from the gospel of God... Now let's talk about what this gospel is, which he, that is God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So God promised this gospel beforehand. So we know the gospel as from the New Testament. They didn't. They didn't have a New Testament. Paul's writing it. And, and others. But the New Testament is just being written. So when Paul talks about the gospel, he's talking about Old Testament. And the things that Paul is going to talk about, he pulls out of the Old Testament. And we'll see some powerful statements that are made by, by Paul and the way that he taught and the way that he ministered uh, this gospel. But 
Notice it says this gospel, the gospel of God, the gospel that belongs to God, the gospel that has come from God. It's not just the gospel about God. It's the gospel that God gave. All right, so this is God's gospel. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. So this is God's good news, which was spoken of in the Old Testament by that very phrase. Good news. And then when Jesus came, they identified this is the one that the good news was about. And this is the one who's going to teach us about the good news. And this is the one who, through his life and death, is going to bring forth this good news in our life. So there's a lot to this gospel. And so this gospel, first of all, was promised through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul is very, very um, conscientious about the Scriptures, about the fact that these words by the prophets are God's words to us. And so Paul is very much aware. Now, many times when he quotes from the Old Testament, he paraphrases. And so he doesn't always just quote directly like we would think. Uh, He's going to paraphrase. Sometimes he just writes a statement, and you have to understand where that statement has come from. And might be a, it might be a compilation of several passages from the Old Testament that Paul has put together into a statement. Again, things that we will see. All right, what about this son? So this gospel is, is what God promised beforehand through the prophets and the whole scriptures concerning his son. What about this son? The son was descended from David according to the flesh. So what's that talking about? That's talking about Jesus humanity all right descended from david according to the flesh this is the man jesus and then the second part of that concerning his son first he descended from david second declared to be the son of god in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead so he descended from david according to the flesh that's his humanity and then in in the second part of that, in verse 4, it says, and was declared to be the Son of God in power. This is his deity. According to the Spirit of holiness. And so the, the Spirit of God brought forth in Jesus' life all of, the, um, all of the testimony that he truly was the Son of God. And again, things that we'll talk about. And then this all was sealed by one thing. His resurrection from the dead. And it's like that's the, that's the confirmation that everything that the prophet said about his humanity and his deity is absolutely truth. And it's sealed, confirmed by his resurrection from the dead. Again, referring to his deity. And who is this person? Who is this one that was promised beforehand? Who was this son? Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he goes into what that means to us. Through whom? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. And so Paul now talks about his, his anointing, his empowerment, that we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith 
for the sake of his name among all the nations. So Paul says, this grace and apostleship was given to me with a responsibility. And my responsibility is to bring about the obedience of faith. Now don't think of that as like law. It's not law. It's that when we we proclaim the message of faith, you obey and you're saved. And so this obedience of faith is what leads to salvation, again, as Paul will talk about. And so we receive this grace and apostleship. We didn't make this message up. We didn't originate it. We didn't work it out. We received grace. That's what? God giving you what you don't have. God's power for your weakness. Paul says, I, I, didn't, I didn't think this up. In fact, Paul what? He despised it. You know his story? He despised this gospel. He despised the people who believed it. He despised the Christians who were building their communities and drawing people out of the synagogue. He despised it so much that he was willing to go to cities, drag people out, see their families separated, maybe people even stoned, and drag some people all the way to Jerusalem to be tried before the Sanhedrin so they could be put to death. Paul was willing to do all of that. That's how much he despised this gospel, but suddenly something happened. And he received grace and an apostleship. All of a sudden, just like that, it all changed. What happens when you receive the message of salvation? It all changes. Maybe not everything. Not all at once. How many of you are still working on some of the stuff? Okay, just don't, don't, don't tell me what it is. You know, but... Um, We're still working on some of the stuff, but inwardly, you were dead, and suddenly you became alive. And something changed. And you knew it changed. Jan witnessed to my my brother's grandson several years ago, and after they prayed, he asked, she asked him. You know, if he if he felt any different, and he said, "Yeah, I, I feel this. Something, something inside of me changed. Thank God." And some of, sometimes we're not even able to identify what it is. We just know it did. Other times we're just, you know, we're happily living our life as a Christian, <laughs> going through things and. All of a sudden, a passage from Romans just suddenly strikes us, and we alter our life. We change. Something happens. Why? It's the power of this word. And so Paul is talking about, we, through this Jesus Christ, through him, we received this. To bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name. It's all about him. We preach him, we receive him, and then he gets glorified for it. It's all about him. And then he goes on and he says, among all the nations. I'm not called just to the Jews. That was a big conflict. 
Paul's going to wrestle with that for several chapters. And it's a subject that comes up several times in the midst of this book of Romans. Jews and the Gentiles. Jews and the Gentiles. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, church was going along, everything is going great. People are being added, the church is growing. People are coming to salvation. People are being added to the church. And then there arose a division between the Greeks and the Hebrews. Well, you got to read that right. The Greeks were Greek Jews, Jews who spoke Greek and came from someplace outside Palestine. The Jews were those who believed and lived in Palestine. And so there were all these differences, and it was ethnic dissension and strife and racial issues coming up, and the church could have fallen apart. But God gave Peter an answer. And the answer was to find other people to help serve, to make sure that no one felt that they were being left out. So it's a powerful thing, but just because people get saved doesn't remove all those things that have been built up. And Rome... Rome was filled with caste structure, racial issues, social, cultural differences. It was so full of different things. There were, there were people who could not even communicate and people who didn't care to. Didn't matter. The Roman officials, if you didn't understand, they didn't care. We're handing out food, but if you don't understand where we told you to go to get the food, that's your problem, not ours. So there was all kinds of issues in this city. Paul wants to bring that to a change. He says, this, this gospel is for all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Notice the next phrase as we go back now. Last part of this. To how many of those in Rome? To all those in Rome. Paul doesn't write to one caste, one social order, one ethnic group. Paul's way past all of that. And there's no better passage to study that from besides Romans chapters 2, 3, and 4 than Galatians and Ephesians, where Paul tears down those walls, especially Ephesians chapter 2. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So Paul's not writing to strangers. This isn't necessarily an evangelistic letter, although you can find the Romans wrote in here, can't you? Again. So this is not necessarily an evangelistic letter. He's not writing it to unbelievers. He's not writing it to people who don't believe. He's writing to all those who are called to be saints. Called to be saints. little hint here. We'll see more of this. But the word called in the Old Testament was, was a potential. In the Gospels, it was potential. People would be called. They might answer. They might not. But when the word called is used in the New Testament, it's always used in reference to people who heard the call and responded. 
Okay, so called is those who heard and responded. So called to be saints mean those who are. They were called to be. God gave an invitation. They accepted the invitation, and they are now saints. And so called in all of the letters um, has to do with those who heard the message, believed it, and accepted it. And so here he's talking about all those who have become believers. Grace to you and peace. Talked about that last year, last week. Grace to you and peace. Grace has to come first. People want peace, but you can't have this kind of peace without receiving from the grace of God. And we want everything to go well. We want to hold hands and sing kumbaya. We want to give the world a Coke, you know, or whatever, and not, not Coke, a Coke. So we want to stand and sing pretty songs and see everything go well and let the government make some kind of rule that everything is okay now. The government can't do that. Only the grace of God can produce peace. And so this is what God wants us to hear from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much in that we will come back and look at. All right, page two. We're going to start at the end a little bit of, of this section. Uh, to all those in Rome who are called to be saints. Verse seven, to all in Rome who are called to be saints. So this city of Rome, uh, there's more of this that we'll talk about as we go through the course. Um, but this is the greatest city of the day. And there's some things about this city that will boggle your mind as we come to bring out certain aspects of it. It's the center of the largest empire up until that day. It went from all the way in the north, Britain, and some of the Scandinavian areas, the edges of the Scandinavian areas, all the way down to the Sahara. So quite a far down into uh, northern Africa. It went all the way from um, Gaul, which we know today is France, and Hispania, which Spain. So it went all the way from the Mediterranean all the way to Saudi Arabia, Iraq. Babylon was a major city during this time. And so this is still, you know, what the people knew, all these different peoples. And what would the Roman army do? They would conquer an area, they would capture people, make them slaves of the government, send them back to Rome or one of the other major cities. The slaves would be sold so the government could have money. People would buy their slaves. The slaves would run away. The slaves would have children. The slaves were set free. The slaves would, would escape into basically nothingness. The city was filled with a population of about 2 million at this time. Over 600,000 slaves. That's during the time that we're reading about here, during the time of Nero. 600,000 people with no homes, no place to go, no life. Yet Paul's writing. (laughs) 
And all of this was held in suppression by the Roman army. Well, there were, there were battles and wars and all kinds of little troubles all throughout the empire. Pardon me. And so there were various issues throughout the empire that the people had to um, be put down by the Roman army. Some of those battles took years. Rome was ready to fight. If it took them three, four years to win a battle, that's what it took. So they didn't have the ability to move troops instantly. If you wanted to go from Gaul to um, Arabia, you had to walk. Maybe a boat for a part of the way, but boats were dangerous. And so most of it was walking as amazing, and yet they would do it. This was a huge empire. And of that empire, Rome was the center. People from every language, every culture, every status of society, people who had been kings were now slaves, sold for nothing, treated like a tool, a horrible place. So, what does Paul write? He says, to all those in Rome who are what? What's the phrase? Loved by God. God. (laughs) You may be hated. You may not be able to find a place in society. You may be rejected. You might have been sold. You have no idea where your parents are, your family, your children. You've got nothing. Plague, famine, sickness has taken most of your family. You've been thrown out of the, <clears throat> of the owner's home that you went to. Now you're on the streets. You heard this message of the gospel and received it, but, but what does it mean? What does it mean? It, it was a gospel of freedom. It was a gospel of love. It was a gospel of, of grace. But you really don't know what it all means. How many knew what your salvation meant when you got saved? Uh, I knew a little bit. <laughs> I knew something about it. How many verses of Jesus loves me do we sing in China? I don't know. Eleven? They, they got so many verses to Jesus loves me. <laughs> I can't believe it. I used Jesus loves me as, a, as an invitation one time. So you've been singing the song. What does it say? Yes, Jesus loves me. What? This I know, yeah, but what else? The Bible tells me so, so I'm going to give you a Bible so that you can read and understand how much Jesus loves you. So, but people, people didn't know what they had. And so there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of different issues going on. They're saved. So Paul decides to write them a letter. They are loved by God. They are saints, but there's a lot that they need to know. So, Paul writes this letter from the city of Corinth, somewhere around the year 56, 57, probably in the winter. 
He spent about three months in the city of Corinth. Then he was on his way to Jerusalem where he wanted to take the offering. We have no direct or reported evidence of any of the 12 ever coming to this city. So as far as the, the apostles of the Lord, there's no report of any of them coming to the city before this time. Now we know Peter came later. Uh, maybe a couple of the other apostles came through Rome. But at this time, none, none of the 12 had been there. But Paul wants to go. Now that doesn't mean that there haven't been ministers there. And that doesn't mean the people have not gone. Because as Paul writes in Romans chapter 16, there's a number of people there. He even, he even calls them apostles. And so he recognizes that there are people there, but they're not of the twelve from the Lord. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And so in this city, there's all this need. How did this church get started? Where did it come from? Someone wrote me a note about that. So where did they come from? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now there were, dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. What day is this? Uh, This would be the day of Pentecost. And at the sound from heaven... The multitude came together, that mighty rushing wind, the people being speaking in tongues. The people came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are all of these people speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? And now begins to list them, Parthians, Medes, Elamites. Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, belonging to Serena and what? Visitors from Rome. On the day of Pentecost, hearing the outpouring of the Spirit, were people from Rome, Jews, who'd come there is their obligation to go and to worship here the day of Pentecost. And so many of them have responded. Many of them have been there year after year. If you had the funds, you would travel every year to the festivals. And you might rotate through some, but you tried to get there for Passover. Pentecost was also one of the great ones they wanted to come for. And so they would come to the city Verse 11, both Jews and proselytes. So from Rome came those who were Jews by birth, by heritage, and also proselytes. That's Gentiles who had heard the message. They liked the message of Judaism, but they didn't like all the rules. So they didn't go through the circumcision and all of the baths and all those kinds of things, but but they liked the message. So they would go to the synagogues if they were allowed in. Some wouldn't allow them in. Or they'd stand around the outside of the synagogue and listen. And so there are many proselytes. They're Gentiles. They've never been circumcised. They've never committed themselves to the law. 
They haven't kept all of the commandments. They don't see all of that, but they like the message of Judaism. One God. One God who cares about people. One God who wants to deliver people. A God who chose a man named Abraham and blessed him. A God who worked through history. A God who was relatable. A God who lived in actual places where you lived. Because many of the other pagan gods lived in some kind of magic land that you had no idea where it was. I like the stories of the Chronicles of Narnia. I like the stories of the, the, the rings. But you know what? I don't know where those places are. Where is Middle Earth? I don't know. Don't get into that with me. I don't. <laughs> and that's the way many, many of the religions were. The places where they would talk about, the places where the gods were or the saviors were or the helpers were, were lands that didn't exist in anybody's knowledge. But not in the Hebrew faith. These were real places. There was a real Egypt. There was a real Palestine. There was a real city of Jerusalem. There were all these places that actually existed. There was a real Babylon. There was a real Nineveh. All those things that it said really were. So, this was a religion that people were open to. And so they were all there waiting. And then what happened? Pentecost came. They heard this message. And then Peter got up and preached. And what happened after Peter preached? Thousands saved, right? Thousands come to the Lord. What did they do? They went back to their home. They went back carrying this message. What they knew was this outpouring of the Spirit. What they knew was Peter's message. But they didn't understand what all it meant. Peter preached a great message. And it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful sermon. If they hung around for maybe a week or two, maybe, maybe they, they saw the miracle with the man at the gate, beautiful. And then heard Peter preach another sermon. And surely he and the apostles were preaching every day. But people were going home. They'd been saved, but they didn't know what they got. They didn't know what it meant. They didn't know how to take what God had said and God had done in their life and transform it into living. So they went back to their homes. And as Paul traveled and the other apostles, as Peter and Paul taught and ministered, others along with him, Barnabas, they began to teach and travel. They encountered in cities they would go to, they encountered people who had heard the message but didn't understand it. They heard something. They believed it, but they didn't understand it. And so as Paul goes to these various cities, read these passages I, I put down there. Acts chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 18 and 19. Read Paul's story. Read it with the with the point of view that you're looking at how he ministered in each one of those cities. He found people who were Jews and he found people who were proselytes. People who had heard the message and people who had had something happen in their life, but they didn't know what. 
Paul came along and explained to them what had taken place, explained the gospel to them. Many people started pouring in to the place where many times it angered the Jews because the proselytes that were coming, the Gentiles that were coming, were more than their Jewish uh, congregation. And so that brought up strife and it brought up division. And then Paul wrote some letters about that. But this gospel had been heard at Pentecost and had been carried back to the city of Rome. So what does Paul want to do? He wants to write a letter. Go to the top of your page three. So what's in this letter? I just boiled this down. I just kind of looked at some, a little bit of an outline. It's not really a complete outline, but if you look at the top of page three, uh, the first thing is, who is Paul? So Paul's going to explain himself. And he's going to explain a little bit more about himself and a few other places through the letter. He tells more about himself. Now, what is this gospel? What is, what is this good news? Now, good news was a phrase that was used by the, by the Romans at this time. It had been used all the way back by the Greeks. Euangelon. And we get the word evangel from that. Or evangelist. Or evangelist. Or to evangelize. They just change the U to a V. Euangelon means a good message. But the Romans would use it about the change of an emperor or the birth of an imperial child. Or maybe they'd even use it to announce that we're going to have a month of games every day, all day long in the arenas. We're going to kill people and their blood's going to flow and you'll be happy. It was the good news. And so they would put the good news out. We're going to have gladiatory. We're going to have beasts released upon hundreds of people inside the arena. You're going to love it. And they would gather these people, would come to the arena. Yeah, maybe they'd give them a handful of grain. But if we could see blood, we'd forget about all of our problems. And folks, I'm telling you, that was life in the Roman Empire and in these major cities. That was the good news? Really? It's not God's good news. Notice Paul said, I'm going to tell you about not just good news. I'm going to tell you the good news that belongs to who? God. God's good news. Let me tell you what God's good news is. And so Paul is going to explain that to them. Why, why do we need this gospel? Well, it's for the ungodly, it's for the Jews, and it's for the Gentiles. All right, that pretty much hits everybody. What is the law? What, the, what is the law? The Jews knew. Gentiles didn't fully understand it and didn't like it. The ungodly didn't care for it at all. They had never even heard. What is the law? What does it matter? What is faith? What is grace? What's justification? How are we saved? All of these are things Paul is going to answer. Some of them he presents them as a question. Some he challenges something that they already believe, but as he's going through here. What does the gospel change? By the way, that's Romans chapter 6 and 7. How does it change? Romans chapter 8. I could put chapters on most of these. What about the Jews and the law? 
Romans chapters 9, 10, 11. How do we live in light of this gospel? In relation to the world, chapter 13. In relation to other believers, 14 and 15. So Paul's going to answer a lot of these questions. Some they may have understanding of, many they don't. Yet he's going to answer that. First question, who is Paul? So he's got three things he says about himself. He's a servant of Christ Jesus. He's called to be an apostle. And he's set apart for the gospel. First thing, he's a servant of Christ Jesus. He uses the same word that's used throughout the Roman Empire, doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S. Now, doulos meant one thing in the Roman Gentile world. It meant something else in the Jewish world. So Paul is going to tie together the Jewish idea of doulos with the Greek-Roman idea. To the Greek and Romans, a doulos, a slave, was a tool. If it's broken, throw it away. If it's not working, get a new one. People are disposable. Even more so than your actual tools. You can always find another slave. If a child's sick, or a parent is sick, if they die, throw them away. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be crude or uncaring, but that was their attitude. It was cold. It was, it was uncompassionate. There was no such thing. If your slaves have too many children, get rid of them. You might sell them, but you don't get much for a child slave. So they would take their children out and lay them in the woods. Walk away. Throw them on garbage dumps. Walk away. Cold. That was the Roman idea of a slave. But you go back to the Old Testament. There was a different attitude towards slavery. God allowed slavery, but it was for two purposes. To repay a debt, or to to grow out of being a captive, being captured in war. So in war you might capture people and they would be your slaves. Uh, <clears throat> or someone owes you a debt and they become your slave. However, under Jewish law, that slavery ended every seven years. So you could not have a slave for more than seven years. You might get them in the fourth year of the seven-year cycle, and then you're, they're your slave for only three years. And then you turn them loose. That's the way it was. Because God never intended slavery to be a culture, a class. It was to repay a debt or to work your way to freedom. And God told them, even in Israel, it said, feed the people that had come among you, the strangers, the aliens. Treat them like they're your own. And so there was a different attitude. Plus, under the Jewish way, a person who was a slave could become what they called a bond slave. 
But a bond slave is when you went to your master, you your debt had been paid, but you liked life there better than the fear of trying to live outside, and especially in Rome. If you'd been a slave all of your life and you were turned loose, there was nothing for you. Hopeless. We ran into this in some degree to working with orphans when we were doing our work in Russia. And at the age of 18, they're turned out of the orphanage. Whether they got any place to go, whether they've got an education, didn't matter. Sent them away. We can't keep them here anymore. So the girls would go to prostitution, the boys would go to drugs and gangs and crime. And the statistics were that by the age of 30, almost 80% of those children who had been orphans were dead before the age of 30. It was a rough life. So some would then say, well, I want to I stay. My master's good. I've got a good home. He takes care of me. And so they would become what's called a bond slave. And that's more the idea that Paul uses when he talks about slave. We'll find this word used by Paul in every one of his letters. Paul talks about being somewhere. He talks about being a slave of God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 17 Paul says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The idea of bearing on his body the marks of Jesus indicates that he's been marked as a bond slave to Jesus Christ. And so this is the the idea that is mentioned there. Notice uh, there about the middle of your page, those who are called servants of the Lord. We got Abraham. Genesis 26, Moses, Joshua 14, Joshua is called a servant in Joshua 24. David is called a servant in Psalm 89. Isaiah is called a servant in Isaiah 20. And throughout the prophets, several places, it talks about my servants, the prophets. And so this was an attitude of, I don't belong to myself. I belong to someone else. My will is not my own. My will is committed to someone else. For Paul, his will was committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. I will be what he wants me to be. I will say what he wants me to say. I don't tell God what I'm going to do. He tells me what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow. I'm going to listen. I'm going to uh, obey. I'm going to accept I'm going to live under him, not ask God to live under me. And so the idea of servanthood, Jesus is called a servant of the Lord over and over and over. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. So Paul says he's, he's a slave, a bond slave of the Lord. Second of all, he says, I'm called to be an apostle. Oh, by the way, let me back up one thing. Paul never calls himself a slave of Rome. He never calls himself a slave of man. He said, I will serve people, but that's my choice. I will serve people. 
but he never calls himself a slave of Rome. He was never called himself a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. So all of Paul's service and his humility comes from his attitude toward the Lord. Now, called to be an apostle, what does he mean by apostle? The Greek word apostolos goes all the way back to the Greek empire. Apostolos was one sent as a representative, but um, it had to do with someone who's fully equipped to fulfill a mission. So some mission has been given to them, and they are now fully equipped and fully backed by who sent them. So it has to do with somebody that has been sent. And this word has taken on the idea of a missionary, though there's a little more to it uh, than just missionary, though some of the translations will put that word in. But the ancient Greeks used this word for the commanding officer of an invasion fleet. So there would be a fleet uh, that would invade some place. The Greeks used boats to get their army there. And so uh, the leader of this invasion fleet was called the Apostle. And the thing is, he was equipped to do whatever it took to make those people Greek. He could conquer them as an army. He could rebuild their cities to look like Athens. He could teach them the Greek language. He could train them in the philosophies and the thinking. He would present to them the temples so that the people could worship the Greek gods. His job was to make people Greek or what they call Hellenize because the word, the Greek word for Greek is Helen. I know that's confusing. So their word is Helen. All right, so to Hellenize them. Well, Paul called himself an apostle because what's his job? Not to Hellenize people, but to what? Christianize people. (laughs) So nobody presents this better. The other apostles were doing the same thing. And Jesus reached back almost 400 years to call these men that he was going to appoint apostolos. It wasn't a common word among the Romans in, in Paul's day. It wasn't a common word at all among the Jewish people. So Jesus reached all the way back to to borrow a word that would be what he meant it to be. You are going to be, in a sense, my invasion force. You're going to take a land. You're going to teach them a new language. You're going to teach them a new culture. You're going to teach them a new religion. You're going to establish a new place. And so all of that fell under the realm of an apostle. So apostle was a teacher. He was a a worker. He was a builder. And Paul uses so many of those analogies and metaphors talking about himself. And so these are ways that the apostle was used. Apostle is one called. One who's received a commission. It's It's not an invitation. Called to be an apostle was not an invitation. Hey, you want to be an apostle? No, it's not that kind of an invitation. It's a commission. You are my apostle. And it's something that is handed to you. And it will be uh, held 
accountable for you to do. Uh, it came along with all the necessary abilities. Everything that you needed to do was provided for you. And so all the things that were required. So as this apostle would go to another place and he's supposed to rebuild a city, the government would give him architects, people that knew the architecture of Athens and could build the cities. So you go through the, <laughs> through the ancient world and remember where you went? Cities looked like Greek. Greek buildings, Greek structure, Greek architecture, Greek gods everywhere. Why? Because that was the job of the apostle. Well, within a few hundred years, it was Christian. We don't have buildings. Now, unfortunately, later on, they did. And so everybody had to have a cathedral that looked like somebody else's cathedral because that was the way a church was supposed to be. You know, and you do not do anything different and you don't sing any songs different and you don't work any place different and you don't dress any different. So God never intended that. What he intended was the changing of people's hearts. Now, let me quickly sum this up. Apostles of the Lamb. There were different levels of apostleship. And that's not so much in rank. Don't think of this as in rank, but as in a position. This is something that was given to you. So, the apostles of the Lamb, there were 11 plus Paul. So there were 12, but then Judas left and then Paul. So 11 plus Paul. These are the apostles of the Lamb. And when one of them died, no one took his place. There was, that was not to be appointed. There were only those 11 who had walked with Jesus. Say, Paul didn't walk with Jesus. Yeah, he did. Jesus appeared to him. A supernatural appearance to call him into ministry and to work with him for several years while Paul was in the wilderness. So Paul had his own experience with the Lord. Then there are also what we call the writing apostles. Those are the men who wrote the books, even though they're not among the twelve. Their words are inspired by God. They are unquestionable. What they write is truth. All right? And those are people like Mark, Luke, James, the Lord's brother, Jude, the Lord's brother. So they were writing apostles. They they didn't necessarily fulfill the issue of being apostles of the Lamb, but they were of this group. Then there are those who carried this authoritative gospel. They were ministers of the apostles who went under assignment. Men like Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, Priscilla, Aquila, Titus, Epaphras, Epaphroditus, Andronicus, Junia. So there were others who were referred to as apostles. They never wrote a book. They didn't fit the 12 apostles of the Lamb, but they were called apostle. And then finally, there are those who are today the fivefold gift of apostle. Men and women who are anointed of God, sent as, in a sense, an invasion force. They're sent to teach doctrine. They're sent to establish. They're sent to start. Many of them going to places someone has never been before, teaching people the message that they've never heard before. And there are men and women down through the history of the church. They didn't use that title, but that's what they were. All right? Because 
today, if you use the title, it gets goofy. All right. And so as soon as you call yourself an apostle, it may be true, but as soon as you do, it just it gets goofy in people's minds. They don't know what to do with that. And so uh, these are the ones that God has used. All right. I'll take up starting with set apart in our next session. And so this is this is Paul. He wants people to know him. Why does Paul want people to know him? So they can accept his message. Because what Paul's going to say, how many have felt challenged or uncomfortable in reading some of the passages in Romans? Yeah, because God's not afraid to, to talk about our stuff. All right? And so Paul has to get direct about some things. He has to issue some corrections. He also wants to build people up, help them understand, help them realize things they've never heard before. Paul wants people to know him. So, I love this letter. I hope you are enjoying this as much as I am. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Father God, for uh, the truth of your gospel, changing our lives, changing us. Father, we pray that through our words, this gospel can change those who hear us. Thank you for giving us inspiration, boldness to speak in the words that we need, that your name be glorified. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.